All right. Hello, and welcome back to Real Seekers. I'm your host, Dale, the Real Seeker. And uh, today I'm joined by a, a panel of uh, special guests. So the first place we have uh, the open theist, David Kemble Cook. Hey, David, how's it going? Oh, hi. Hi, Dale. Yeah, I, I would say that I'm a theist, but but open theists, maybe not. You're not an open theist. I, I thought I thought at one well, point you when we did the problem of evil, didn't you say you leaned that way or? Did I... Yes, it, 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 in, in leaning that way is not the same as being in that camp. Okay, okay, I, I stand corrected then. So, all right, cool. Uh, and uh, the to my left, we also have the heretic himself, David Russell. Hey, David, welcome back. Hello, buddy. How you doing? Yep, it's been a while. Well, I might be a heretic, but I'm not Satan. You know. At least you're not Canadian. There you go. So, <laughs> and underneath, we've got... Oh, no, the uh, devil is from Canada. No, I'm just <laughs> Well, Justin Trudeau, yeah, maybe. Uh, but you guys got Joe Biden, so I don't know. So, But down below, we've got the ultimate uh, Eastern Orthodoxer, Tyler Fowler. Hey, Tyler. What's up, Dale? Hey. Glad been, to be here. You've been quite busy on Faith Unaltered. I, I think you have like four shows a week now or something like that so we've been pumping them out bro so we just hit the 2000 subscriber mark thank you all for making that happen uh and yeah we've been pumping out episodes left and right we've got a couple new segments and then one in the works so uh maybe hosted by our female friend carrie griffel uh so yeah we, we got a we got a lot of a lot of stuff coming out awesome awesome all right cool well Basically, everyone knows the format for, for uh, these shows with David Kemble Cook. He was a, a former biblical Unitarian, and he's now lost his faith in the Bible. So we've been kind of talking to him on, you know, what are his reasons for leaving and trying to provide some kind of counter to, to address those issues. And today's issue is really his doubts pertaining to the historical evidence for the resurrection. And on that front, uh, since we are limited for time, I want to go straight over to David Casey. And why don't you lay your opening case as to what, what's your issue with the historical evidence for the resurrection? Okay, well, thank, th thanks, Dale. Yes, uh, I should say first off that I'm a, obviously a skeptic now. I, I, I was a believer and up till about two, three years ago, I was leaning towards belief in the resurrection still but as I lost my faith, my, the dial dipped below 0.5, if you like. <laughs> so I now believe that the resurrection is less probable than, than not. And the second thing I want to say is that I'm assuming that we're here talking about the bodily resurrection, a, a physical resurrection, that, that, um, that the tomb really was empty. And um, But obviously not all Christians believe that we have to have believe that Jesus was raised bodily, believe in an empty tomb. But I'm assuming that all you guys do, and that that's the issue that we're talking about. I mean, that's what the Jews of the time would have believed about a resurrection, that they would have thought it was a nonsense to that, that somebody was raised from the dead if his body was still in the tomb. So, you know, just, that would make no sense. David, and, just, and that's what just, uh... yeah. Just to kind of clarify quickly, not to interrupt your opening, but are, are you, by making that distinction, are you saying if we were advancing a spiritual resurrection, you you would be okay with believing that? or? Well, I think the, the arguments are different and all the argument about an empty tomb, which, you know, as you know, the, the apologists place a lot of emphasis on, you know, William Lane Craig, um, Jonathan McClatchy and so on. So if we're going to talk about a spiritual resurrection with no need for an empty tomb, 
then it's then it's rather different. And uh, then we're talking about visions uh, of, that Jesus appeared to the disciples in the same way that he would have appeared allegedly to any believer over the last 2000 years, including Paul. Uh, so it's um, it's a pretty clear distinction here that we, that um, uh, you know there are two different issues really. I mean, we could move on to the spiritual side of it, but I'm assuming that yeah. what you want to talk about is the physical resurrection. Yeah, yeah. So go ahead. I'll, I'll let you give your opening uninterrupted. Yeah. So I, I, I've done a little PowerPoint uh, just to lay out where I I think I'm I'm coming from. So that might take five ten minutes to go zip through. Yep. Uh, we, we could talk yeah. about it as we go along, or or we could just wait till I finished and then talk, if you like. Well, do you uh, know? Do you know how to set it up then? To if you yeah, see so what does that do? So if you see the present button at the present, bottom, yeah, yeah, and then it'll pop up a little box saying, yeah, uh, share your entire screen and uh, kind okay. of thing just uh, right. at the tab. Okay, and then click the mm -hmm. picture, the image of the screen there yeah It'll highlight okay. blue oh where's it coming is that um, yeah i can't see it where's oh you can't see it i might have to close something all right i'll just try again and close some things so uh let's see what can i close uh, okay can't close those um, just try again so present uh, I'll put up there first. Present um, and share screen. Then yeah. Okay, present. Share screen. screen. And then do you see a little box? So it's giving me different options for my screen. Yep. And it's showing... Showing... Just to keep it... It's, it's got all my... Um, my, my uh, my tabs, <laughs> showing me all my tabs on Google Chrome. Yeah, great. So uh, entire. So you're under entire screen then. So click yeah. the little image in the middle of the box. It'll highlight it with a blue border. Oh, entire screen. I see up there. Good. Just okay. to make it simple, and then click okay. the little image in the box. Right. It'll yeah. it'll get a blue okay. border, and then click share. And here right. it is. It's popping up. So then go to what you want, Resurrection of Jesus. We're, we're seeing that. Yeah. So, yeah, go ahead. Great. Okay. You can see, you can see me. Good. Right. So, we're talk, as I said, I, I think we're talking about the hypothesis of bodily resurrection. And if we were to talk about spiritual resurrection, that would be different. Um, but talking about the bodily, we want to look at what the evidence is, what the arguments for it, the arguments against it, and conclusions. My conclusions, obviously. So the hypothesis here is that Jesus was raised bodily. That that means, you know, that the eating fish, being touched, etc., as the as the gospel accounts describe. And I'm just calling that resurrection from now on, and distinguished from visions. And the relevance of the ascension here is that, um, according to mainstream Christianity, that any appearances of Jesus after the resurrection are non-corporeal because he's ascended to heaven. So therefore, the appearances to Paul are irrelevant to the resurrection hypothesis. So the, the encounter in Acts 9, described in various 
Acts passages and 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians later on, uh, are all to do with visions. And indeed, that's what those passages uh, say. None of them say that Jesus, Paul saw Jesus eat fish or, or touched him. Uh, they're all visions, a light, a sound, a voice, and so on. Okay, evidence. Well, this is stating the obvious. Uh, this is what we have. Uh, secondhand tech reports and texts written 2,000 years ago, at least 20 years after the events they describe. And that we've got those claims in 1 Corinthians 15, but we don't know if those were bodily appearances or not. Uh, indirect evidence we have. I'm talking here about evidence that supports the resurrection, which is in the early chapters of Acts, uh, people believed, I think, for a part, uh, to, to, to a great extent, uh, arguably because of miracles done. And, uh, and indeed, the, the, the miracles done by, described by Paul. Um, uh, sorry, this is word with signs following Mark 16 as a summary here, that, uh, that part of the reason for the growth of the church is that miracles were done by the uh, disciples, by the apostles, by Paul and by Peter and John. And then, of course, the evidence of the, sorry, the growth of the church. There had to be some, you know, X factor that made the church grow. And unlike any other messianic movement of that time, which did not died out. So arguments for, well, we could say the Bible tells me so. But as I said, I'm coming from a, from a, a position of scepticism here. Sorry for staying on that. And I was just talking with a friend of mine, my um, assistant pastor at my church, and we were debating this very subject, actually, and just the other week. And, uh, he, you know, he said, well, you, do you believe Jesus raised, was raised from the dead? And I said, no. And he said, why not? Well, I said, you know, I don't believe the evidence is enough. And I asked him why he believed it. And he said, it's a matter of faith. It's belief. So obviously, you know, we can believe that the Bible says that, therefore I believe it, but that's not enough. We could also have personal experience. So if we've had an experience of Jesus appearing to us, we're very likely to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. And many people have had that experience. I haven't, but, you know, many, many Christians have. Uh, minimal facts. Uh, so this is the argument put forward by Gary Habermas and others. Maximal data uh, is something that uh, I think Jonathan McClatchy terms based in approaches. This is the, um, the paper by the McGrews, which you've already linked to, I think, Dale, in your previous shows on this topic. Yeah. And so each of those in turn, the Bible tells me so. That's not an argument. Personal experience. OK, but this is not an argument either. I mean, it's obviously convicting uh experience to go through but it's not an argument so you know you're not going to persuade anyone to believe in the resurrection by telling them that you've seen jesus it's not an argument okay so and the minimal facts you might say well william lane craig doesn't put forward minimum minimum facts well he does he, he does in a way he just his facts are facts vary <laughs> And uh, 
the crucial, I mean, important question here is where does the empty tomb come in? Now, it's a really important um, brick, if you like, in the argument for the resurrection. And so William Lane Craig uh, places emphasis on it. And, but Habermas used to include it, but more recently he leaves it out in his list. So this is his, this is Habermas's list from 2016. And I look at all these and you guys will be familiar with them. And I, I would say, well, yes, I, I could, I could believe that. I could believe those five. I could take, for the sake of argument, I could accept those as a skeptic. I could accept those. But how do we get from there to believing that the resurrection is, you know, the, my personal probability, its subjective belief is more than 0.5, that I think it's more likely than not that the resurrection happened. So I hope you see where I'm coming from here. I can look at these, these facts and say, yeah, these, I can say Acts is, you know, written with a bent for historicity. Uh, certainly the authors of Luke and Acts were trying to be historical um, about the early church, how it grew, the experience of Saul. Saul was a real person. That his letters reflected his personal beliefs. Uh, you know, we can accept the kernel of truth in the gospel accounts that Jesus died by resurrection. And then, you know, importantly, that, the disciples really believed they'd seen Jesus alive after his death. So I could accept all that, but how do we get from there? So that's the question, really. I think that we're, you know, might be considering. Uh, so how do we get from the apostles having us or disciples having a strong belief in the resurrection to it being highly probable for me? Okay, now proponents use this trilemma argument. So um, I think. Mike Kona does, uh, William Lane Craig does, McClatchy does. I don't know what Habermas does because everything I've watched of his, he never says what his argument is, he just lists the facts. But anyway, the trilemma. And either the disciples were lying or that they had a hallucination, it was an illusion, or it really happened. And of course, they argue against the first two, but come to the third, obviously. But then, as Paul Logia points out, they omit really the the obvious go-to from a skeptic, which is a legend. And uh, the, I, the, this is rather funny in a way, because in some of their arguments, they say, let's go to the most likely or most popular amongst skeptics, liars or hallucination. But then they disregard them as being uh, unlikely. <laughs> but the legends, I, I, I really go with Pologia here and say that, that a legend can grow up in a matter of weeks and that Peter or Paul, uh, sorry, Peter and, and might have had a, a belief that he saw Jesus and that might have been transmitted to um, the disciples. So we can come back to that. But the maximum data um, is where, you know, the McGrews really don't, um, unlike Mike Lacona, they really want to insist that the Gospels are historically reliable. But then if, if that's so, then we don't need to argue for the resurrection separately because the Gospels record the resurrection and if the Gospels are reliable, then obviously the resurrection happened. So, but maybe they're arguing, talking about the McGrews and, and McClatchy on two levels really, that 
the Gospels are genuinely historically reliable. So Lydia McGrew has a book recently uh, talking about the reliability of the Gospels and talking about these undesigned coincidences and uh, coincidences and other things. And therefore, so there, that's one level. And the second level would be then to say, okay, so the resurrection accounts in particular are reliable, but then we might need a third, an extra argument for that, such as a trilemma argument. So, um, yeah, so I mean, that's, sorry, problems with one, uh, that um, we can't get, uh, an, we can't prove that the gospels are universally reliable in every detail, just by showing by indirect arguments that some of it is reliable. You know, the argument, I mean, that for instance, the famous uh, resurrection of the saints in Matthew 27, 51 and 52, I think, uh, that those two verses, uh, you, there's no way that you could establish that those are historically reliable just by pointing out that, or establishing that the rest of Matthew's gospel is reliable. Uh, you can't establish that. Uh, secondly, uh, the, the problem with two I've already raised, the trilemma is it omits the legend. So that's the, that's the argument there. The McGrew paper, uh, it's, I, I read that a few years ago and I was impressed by it, but I can't imagine now why I was so impressed because it has numerous flaws in it. They have to define what kind of probability and I think there may be seven different kinds. Uh, they choose arbitrary values for the probabilities that they're you know, hugely small in many cases, but they're arbitrary, they pluck them out of thin air. They assume that the gospel accounts are, are true. Well, then you could just take the resurrection there, couldn't you? So that's really not, not a, a viable assumption in, in this context. Um, yeah, so just want to forget about base theorem altogether. Uh, Paul's testimony they, they use, and that's one of their factors, but it's irrelevant the bodily resurrection as i pointed out above they assume that the witnesses uh, evidence is independent and that's a huge plank in their argument because if events are independent then the probability say two events happening they're independent probability of them both happening you get by multiplying the probabilities so if you multiply two very small numbers together you get an even smaller number so 10 to the minus 10 multiplied by 10 to the minus 10 is 10 to the minus 20, which is infinitesimal. Uh, but there's no way that you can get away with assuming independence between the different appearances because gospel accounts can't be considered independent. Um, then also they compare resurrection with not resurrection, resurrection, but that's not fair because you have to identify specific naturalistic explanation for the evidence that we have, not just generally not are. And uh, and they say 13 witnesses. Now, I don't see how they get 13 because Paul was not a witness to the bodily resurrected. And there, and there weren't 12 um, in the upper room or wherever, there, there were just 11. So I think that's just sloppy. Uh, so yeah, so quickly moving on against them. Although we're going to say that to be a skeptic, you don't have to prove the resurrection did not happen. You just have to say the arguments for are not convincing. But you've got Hume's general argument against miracles. You've got arguments specifically against the resurrection, the, the resurrection of Jesus, and then skepticism. 
And this is the famous statement by Hume. And what we're doing here is, is really just we're comparing probabilities here. We're comparing the probability of the data, testimony or whatever, um, and it, the, the testimony is true versus the probability of the data and the testimony is not true. You're comparing those two probabilities. And I think that's right. I think that's, that's what we would do. Um, but the, I think it's common sense. And indeed, in assessing these probabilities, we, we should indeed take account of the fact that people don't usually uh, rise from the dead. So we'd normally require very strong evidence for a resurrection to prefer it over any naturalistic explanation. And I think you would agree with me in general, that's what we would normally do. Um, but if we're going to be talking about probabilities here, then it's subjective. There are different kinds of probability, but what we're talking about here is our own subjective belief probability. And if we were going to use base theorem to refine it, that would bring in what are called prior probabilities, which are the probabilities in advance before we look at the evidence. And of course, those are, are um, very different for different people. So an atheist, their prior probability of a resurrection will probably be zero or near zero. Whereas for a theist, the prior probability would be much larger. And, and then the Bayes theorem works by calculating um, multiplying the prior probability by um, the probability of the data given the hypothesis divided by the probability of the data given the, the, the other hypothesis that you're comparing it with. Um, but anyway, prior probabilities are crucial. So uh, arguments against resurrection specifically, well, some atheists bring out you know, comparisons with other religions. So that which is on the face of it quite a strong argument, but then apologists would, would attempt to rebut this quite reasonably by pointing out that Christianity is different and it's not really a debate that could be settled one way or the other. But we don't need to because, um, you know, my position and any skeptic would say the best position is ag being agnostic. We say we don't know. Um, I'm certainly not prepared to say the resurrection did not happen, but I'm not have enough evidence to convince me that it did. Um, so there we are. Um, we might, yeah, so on my comment to you, Dale, on your last show, is I did put this in the comment in the, in the comments below, mm. is that we could actually, I believe, have enough evidence for a modern day resurrection. If someone came back from the dead last week, uh, I think Mike Lacona on one of his, uh, I think maybe on Capture Christianity said, you know, supposing somebody, I get beheaded, and then five minutes later, uh, I, I I walk out with my completely alive again. You know, we could say, well, um, and the behe the beheading took place, you know, under television lights and everything. We we could say, yeah, that it looks like this really happened, because today we've got evidence. You know, there's video evidence. There's we can talk to eyewitnesses. There might be hundreds of people there, and all that stuff. But for two thousand years ago, it's a different case. So 2,000 years ago, a gap of at least 20 years between events and recording, all we could have is a probable belief. And as I think the um, Paul Logia's rival hypothesis is that uh, a mistaken belief with, say, Peter or Mary, that they had seen Jesus, could have grown into the stories in the gospel 
with many details accrued in the retelling or supplied by the authors of the Gospels. And uh, as, as, as he points out, legends can come about in, in weeks or months. Um, we're talking here about years. So that's, um, right. that's mine. So awesome. how was that? How was that? Yeah, no, th thank you for the a very thorough presentation in terms of how you take arguments for the resurrection. So I'm wanting to turn to my two co-hosts to kind of give their take. But just before I do, I have three things I would like to quickly just ask about or go over and stuff quickly. So, so David, uh, just as a, a quick answer, one of the, the Bible tells me so was the first argument that you sort of, or approach that you sort of knocked down. And I think you were kind of giving a bit of a straw man of thing because I can see where the Bible tells me so approach could actually be successful if we are warranted in believing that the Bible as a whole is sufficiently attached to the truth of Christianity or is inspired by God. Um, in that case, you know, that's how why I believe I don't require a historical minimal facts approach or something like that to prove that Jesus turned water into wine or that <coughs> part of the Red Sea. In that case, the Bible tells me so is a warranted argument because it comes attached with argumentation saying that, well, these stories as a whole are attached to the truth of Christianity and I'm warranted in believing Christianity is true. So do you do you recognize that someone could make a Bible tells me so argument that is warranted? It would just require more than just saying, well, the Bible tells me so. There, there also has to be additional premises there. Yeah, I, I yes, I accept that. That that's a good point. And uh, but I personally, I'm not a, in that position. That I, I'm not willing. Uh, I, I certainly would say that I'm a theist, but that doesn't mean any point of view about the, the Bible uh, being warranted that the Bible is true. Fair enough. Cool. Okay. Um, the other thing I I knew, I'm, thought it was interesting that you kind of critiqued the minimal facts approach. And then the maximal facts approach of like McGrew and stuff. Um, now, are you familiar with any what's called the moderate facts approach? And our buddy Caleb Jackson deserves the credit for coining that term. But I, for example, take a moderate facts approach. I've linked to Caleb Jackson's book on my blog where he takes this moderate facts approach. Are, are you familiar with any of those approaches? No, no, I've never, I've never heard of it. Okay. Heard of it. So, yeah, enlighten me. Yeah, no, no. Well, it's basically moderate facts, right? So it's we require more facts than what Gary had, just the minimal facts that someone like Gary Habermas or William Lane Craig would give us. But we don't require the full maximum. We don't have to believe everything in the Gospels and stuff. So it's mm -hmm. it's kind of in between. Um, does it does it include the empty tomb? Um, in Caleb Jackson's case, it does. In my case, it oh, doesn't. Right. right. So it depends who you're talking to. Right? Okay. So, yeah, I just um, I'll send you a link to his book. Uh, yeah, thank you. Okay, and the last thing I kind of just want to give a bit of a lecture because the prior probability. Uh, so I'm going to share my screen very quickly here. Um, so I did a, a show on skeptics and seekers called Calculus for Christ, and Tyler, you'll like this because I I explain what is Bayes' theorem, how does it work, and what's the formulas and stuff like that. Uh, specifically related to the resurrection. And one of the things here is related to the prior probability, right? So just for the audience very quickly, this is the formula that you would use for Bayes' theorem, right? So what's the probability that the resurrection is true given the evidence that you have 
and your background knowledge or your, your prior knowledge. So it equals this formula, right? So you have the probability of that we would see the evidence that we would have an empty tomb or these appearances given we assume the resurrection hypothesis is true. Dale, Dale, are you trying to share your screen? I am. Am I not sharing? It, that? It's not sharing. I just added it. Okay, cool. Uh, you're going to have to switch over to show your, there you go. Is that showing up now? Yep. <clears throat> All right. Awesome. So as you can see here, here's just the, the form, the formula kind of thing, right? Actually, this is a screwed up one, but um, the point here is, look, you have the probability of the evidence given that the resurrection is assumed to be true times. This is the prior probability factor. What is the, prior probability that the resurrection hypothesis would be true given our background knowledge, right? And the problem that I hear from skeptics is they never do what's actually necessary. They never, they just assume that it's always low because they'll give some kind of uh, reference to, well, billions and billions of people have been risen and, you know, uh, what, what are the odds that Jesus would be risen from the dead? But that's the wrong question. Look, that's the wrong reference class. Jesus wasn't just some random peep. He was a religiously significant prophet of God and or agent of God in one sort or God, if you're coming from a Christian perspective, but whereby God would have had a religiously motivated reason or could have had at least prior, in terms of prior probability to raise him from the dead as a special case. And that's what you've got to ask the prior probability on. So on, on that front, there's actually a thing called the Jeffrey conditionalization formula, where we can calculate out this factor in Bayes' theorem. And in order to do that, look, you have to find out what's the probability that the resurrection will be true, given the background knowledge, times the prior, the probability, the prior probability that God exists on the background knowledge that we have, plus... Uh, and this covers naturalistic ones, right? Like the, the probability that the resurrection of Jesus might be true, given our background knowledge and the fact that God doesn't exist, times the prior probability that God doesn't exist on the background knowledge. And you have to add these up. So I've never seen a skeptic really do the hard work of uh, filling out all of these factors to come up with a true probability. They usually always just assume, oh, well, this... This prior probability, uh, sorry, this uh, prior probability right here is very low, as David Hume argued. Yeah, but this prior probability is very high. This factor may be very high. So is this, and this might be very low. Um, so yeah, um, that's the point that I wanted to make here is that there's actually a formula called the Jeffrey conditionalization formula, and Dave, David Hume didn't know about this. Probability calculus didn't exist in his day, so he was just wrong. Um, he was just, his argument was incomplete. So that's the last thing I wanted to say, but I'm going to shut up because I'm the host on this and I want to go straight to David, to um, David Russell. Uh, what's your kind of opening take? What do you want to tackle David Casey on? Well, I mean, I don't have anything specific for tackling. I don't think, uh, I, I mean, you said it pretty well and you know what, some of the points you brought out was probably some of the points that were going through my mind as well. Um, I did have a couple other nuanced ones. Um, uh, there's a time, and it's a little story, but um, 
I was doing an apologetic against uh, another guy that I knew, and we were just going back and forth. And it was weeks upon weeks. We were just presenting the argumentation and this and that. And then I gave him my own experience, and he said, that convinces me. So I, arguments from experience, I, I just don't dismiss. Um, and I'm not saying you do either, David, because I'm sure there's probably nuance to what you said, but you just kind of asserted that you can't do it. And I would say that um, we can make an argument from experience because not all experiences are the same. Um, uh, and because of that, there are other factors that could uh, make a good argument from experience. And I'm probably sure you would agree with that. Um so that's that. And then I had an issue with the reliability aspect, and maybe you explained it while I was writing it down, but uh, just came to my mind. Uh, why can't I establish that because a source is reliable in its content in, 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 most, uh, in, in every other instance? And in some areas, um, why do I have to assume that or why can't I make an argument? Where you know, like like you gave the example from Matthew and the Saints Rising, if 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 everything else in that book is reliable, can I take it on on good reason? Don't I have good reason to believe that 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 would be reliable as well? So I'll let you answer those two first. Okay, what was the first one again? Well, just write uh, write it down, David. But I do want to make sure Tyler gets his opening in before yep. we do the discussion. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. No, that's fine. Uh, yeah. yeah so, go ahead, Tyler. Uh, I'll, Tyler. I'll leave it with those two. <laughs> yeah, Tyler, you're being told to wake up. Apparently, you were sleeping during my Jeffrey conditionalization formula. So. so I I don't know how many times I've said this on Faith Unaltered. I don't think I've said it any time on Real Seekers, but Jamie's a follower of Faith Unaltered, and he should know this. And I know David and Dell knows this. But if I'm sitting here. And Dale's explaining something that is, I'm trying to take in everything without any distractions. So you cut off one sense, you know. So I wasn't sleeping, Jamie. I was trying to listen to Dale, what he was saying. But beyond that, um, I will keep this very minimal. That was a pun, by the way. Just, yeah. just kidding. Um, I will keep this very minimal um, and just reference uh, a couple things uh, from my from your presentation, David. And it seems to me, and y'all can correct me if I'm wrong on this here in a little bit, but it seems to me that if David's applying the same standards that he's doing to the Bible in the New Testament, uh, in uh, specifically the New Testament, to any other document in history that didn't happen within the last, well, David's lifetime, or, or it, within the last, let's say, 100 years, then everything, everything from Plato to Homer to anything even more recent than that would be up to be judged by skepticism, right? And and it seems like David's approach would win out, so to say, and we would have uh, a probability to be skeptical over anything um, because it, it seems like a double standard that, David, you're applying to the New Testament that you don't apply to any other uh, documents in history. The second thing I'll say is in order to understand the Bible, and this is why I don't like only evidential apologetics, and, and I'm more with David on this, uh, David Russell, uh, it's because we, we have to step in to a Jewish worldview. We cannot take our standards that we've developed in the 20th and 21st century, apply that to the Bible, and then say, no, it's not good enough, right? The Jews operated under this idea that testimony is indeed the way that you discover truth. By the testimony of two or three witnesses, it says it in the Torah, says it uh, is reiterated again 
in the New Testament by the testimony of two or three witnesses, this is how we dis establish what truth even is. And so to say that, well, there's not enough evidence, you're not operating on the same functions as the Jews of their time were, because they weren't writing to people like we are today, right? They're writing in their own context, in their own settings, and in all honesty, they didn't have those standards that they were, uh, or they weren't relevant to them, I should say, in their, in their context. Uh, the other thing that I heard was how do we get to the resurrection, right? Out of all these different steps that you took in your presentation, uh, David, and I say this with respect, but how do we get to the resurrection? Well, how I get to the resurrection is by Occam's razor and, and looking up all of the possibilities. The facts of the matter are the, the witnesses that wrote down what we have today in the New Testament, they're the ones that claim there was an empty tomb. Okay, I, I don't buy this whole spiritual resurrection thing. I, I think it's a bodily resurrection. I think this is what Christians have taught for 2,000 years now. But what, what other explanation would we have for a uh, empty tomb scenario, you see? And I think that Mike Lacona, I think that Gary Habermas, and all the people that argue not only for the historical reliability of the New Testament, but also touch on the resurrection as well, They've had done a really good job of laying out another, uh, the case for Christ, Lee Strobel. He does a really good job at this in his book. Uh, but laying out the differing options of that could explain even an empty tomb. And none hold, in my opinion, none come even close to explaining the empty tomb uh, like a resurrection would. And so you have the swoon theory, which Jesus didn't really die. You have this idea that's purported in the Gospels that the disciples stole the body. And so touching on kind of two birds with one stone here uh the idea of a spiritual resurrection i don't think is found in the new testament because you have those arguments like the disciples stole the body this that and the other uh but then the other aspect of that occam's razor to uh exclude or eliminate other opinions and other um scenarios in which an empty tomb could be explained i think the resurrection is the best uh attested explanation to that uh, my opinion but then again that's taken in a whole lot of presuppositions that we don't have time really to get in in the next 20 minutes uh, of this discussion so i'll leave it at that and leave yeah. people to think uh, about that hey uh dale um if you don't mind i did want to address one more thing and it's not really a, a question for david to answer but just a, a kind of a pushback um is apology uh, uh apology sorry his uh legend argument you know and you, you you quoted this as well and i would just push back that there's a reason legendary developments don't pop up within weeks they do they can right. in these days because we have internet we have you, you know uh uh mass travel but for something to develop legendary back in in a historical context especially in ancient context it, it's not probable because these guys only traveled maybe seven miles from their home in their entire lifetime so there's there's no room for that and it would be and legends would have been countered by uh the people that were alive at the time so with that in mind we have to realize the historical context of of where these people lived and that that's kind of backs up what tyler's saying as well so i that i just wanted to add that in dale and david Okay, cool. So, all right, cool. So at this point, I want to devote the rest of the time of what we have left. And 
David Casey, are you are you cool if we maybe go a little bit over just the one hour mark a bit? Like yeah, yes, 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 sure, yes, 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 Dale, thank you. Yeah. Okay, so, so I'll turn it to you. Uh, who do you want to engage with and have sort of? Okay, a well, I could just try and reply to 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 all the points that I I remember. Uh, yeah, there's a lot. So, we apologize. Okay. <laughs> so, Dale, yes, if if we have a general belief. Uh, in the reliability of the Bible, I can see how that would raise the prior probability of resurrection, certainly. But I'm I'm not starting with that. So, uh, indeed, I'm I'm very skeptical about some of the things that are in the Bible. So, um, and 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 you're using everywhere in your presentations, you use God uh, univocally as, as 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 meaning only one thing. Uh, as if everyone understands what or who God is. But the concept of God is a highly varied concept. Uh, varies, obviously, from religion to religion. And to be a general theist, as, as I class myself, is not to align myself with the belief in the Christian God at all, or anything to do with the Bible. Uh, on, on your the moderate facts, I'd like to see that. But, um, but the empty tomb is something that I raised with, uh, with Tyler. The talk about how we use Bayes' theorem, that was very interesting, but of course I haven't had time to study it. Um, but certainly what you showed on the screen is mathematically true. But uh, but we've got to look at where these prior probabilities come in. And of course, anything that raises the prior probability of God is going to raise your posterior probability of, of the resurrection. So I'd agree with you there. But I'd like to, so if you can send me a reference for that, that would Good. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, uh, post up my slides. Uh, again, this is from my show, Calculus yeah. for Christ. So I'll, I'll post up my slides on my blog right. for anyone. Yeah. Okay. I thought David made an excellent point about uh, if a source is everywhere else reliable, then is that not good evidence to trust one particular section? And Yeah, I, I, I think that that would be so. So I, I think we might look at acts for instance where we think that the author is making efforts to be reliable historically uh, as we all know and so we might say well everything that certainly this this author um certainly reports in the first person we could think of we could trust that as as a as historically accurate and so yeah i would say but in the case of matthew's gospel yeah my, my skepticism is not over that particular instance but also um the birth well matthew does seem to be uh not following the model of what we would call a biography in other words he is putting in stuff to make his case uh not actually putting in stuff that he thinks actually happened the uh the flight to egypt for instance seems to have been inserted there so as to justify the prophecy made in hosea out of Egypt, I call my son, Hosea chapter 11, I think. And if you compare the birth narrative of Matthew with that of Luke, Matthew 2 versus Luke, they don't fit together at all. There's no way you can get a birth, um, a flight to Egypt lasting several years in between, uh, in, in, the, in the time of Mary's purification, as reported in Luke. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I'm skeptical about Matthew and a lot of other people. Can well. I ask a clarifying um, question, David? Luke, no. Go go ahead. Yes, I'll, I'll, I'll just get here in a minute. Go ahead. Okay. Well, 
once maybe, you, yeah, when once you come you, back. But, once but you I, I'm not the only one there. A, a lot of, um, do, do, a lot of Christian apologists do admit that they don't necessarily, I think Lycona is one of them, would say that they don't actually put, you know, go die on the hill of accepting that the appearance, the resurrection of the saints actually happened. And I think there's some embarrassment there about that passage. Um, experience, I didn't quite get what you were talking about experience, but I repeat my point there that, that if someone really believed they'd seen Jesus, they would certainly believe in a resurrection. And I'm sure that's how many people come to faith, Christian faith. But maybe you can come back and clarify in a minute. Uh, Tyler, yes, um, you, you make a good point there about double standard. But no, I think I really think that Hume, uh, if Hume were alive today, he would stick to what he said. And I, I, I think what Hume said is common sense, is that we need really better evidence for a miracle than we do for something ordinary. This is just common sense whether it's happened last week or 2000 years ago. So other ancient events we have, when you've got multiple historical references for say the assassination of Caesar, you know, which you do, and some of those accounts are by contemporaries like Cicero was around at the time, then, um, and, and that Caesar was assassinated was not a miracle, but on the, on the contrary, it was highly credible that he was assassinated then there's evidence to believe it rather than that he had a twin brother who was killed in his place or something like that. I'm not applying a double standard at all. I think any ancient text that reports a miracle, and there are lots of ancient Greek texts and, and, and Roman texts about Romulus and Ramus uh, that, you know, that, that they, I don't, I forget which now, but various miracles or you know, totally supernatural things happen. So David, I'm, I'm going to jump in, jump in yeah. here, just to be as efficient as I can with the time, minimal time that we have. Why don't we pick out individual issues, starting with the ones that are most important to you? So like one by one, and then we can kind of discuss for a little bit and then move on to the next issue after like 10 minutes or so. Do you think that will work or? Okay. Yeah. I mean, I just, just give me one minute to finish. Okay. Uh, yeah, um, Jewish points of view, yes, but Luke, and Luke who wrote Luke's Gospel and Paul who wrote his letters, they, they were, um, certainly Luke was, we believe, was a Gentile. Paul was writing in Greek with a Gentile uh, education to, to Gentiles. Paul was a Pharisee. Um, but just because they had different standards doesn't mean that we should accept what they say is true. Um, the empty tomb, yes, but then this is the thing, is if we accept the empty tomb, then... There are strong arguments for resurrection, but then uh, I, I'm skeptical about the empty tomb. Okay, and we, yeah, the, the empty tomb. If we could talk about that, because if you could argue me into accepting an empty tomb, then I'd be halfway towards uh, belief in the resurrection. So I just want to respond because it was so fresh to what you just said, David, about I think you missed my point about stepping into a Jewish world and a Jewish context. Luke, being a Gentile, was indeed associated with the Jews. I would argue that Luke was a proselyte even uh, to that to to the Jewish tradition. But the point I was making is in that worldview, they don't have these evidential standards that you're applying to the text today. What I mean is they're, they're, according to the law, according to the Torah, that applied to every Jew, whether they're Pharisees, Sadducees, Samaritans, whatever, 
they had this idea that on the basis of testimony, on the basis of two or three witnesses, truth is established. So that means if I told you something, David told you something that we saw, that's enough basis in a Jewish mind to develop or, or to establish that this really happened. And so they're not evidentialists. It, it just that's what I meant. You're applying that standard to them whenever they didn't even hold that standard themselves. Does, does that make sense? Oh, it does. Yes. But I forgot okay. to say that that um, you seem to be assuming that we've got eyewitness reports of the of the of the resurrection, which we don't. Why not? Well, we don't have them. We don't have eyewitness reports of the resurrection. You're, uh, we, don't, sorry. we don't have anyone writing saying I X saw Jesus rise from the dead. So you're saying before. the copies of the eyewitness testimonies aren't good enough is what you're saying. Um, Isn't that all we have for, we don't for have, Caesar's we don't assassination? We don't well, have eyewitness testimony. Well, you mentioned Caesar's assassination, and, and this, I think, is a good yeah. uh, uh, segue into you using yeah. this double standard. You apply and, and argued, I think, that there were more, it seemed like, more uh, ancient historical uh, testimony to the death of Caesar than there is to the resurrection of Christ. Is that accurate? Yes, I think so. I, I think so. I haven't added up the historians. Um, uh, yeah, and I'll just, I, let, I'll, hey, let, let me run this, Tyler, because I, this is going to support your point here. Um, uh, around 12 manuscripts we have of this account of Caesar, the oldest manuscript from the 9th century, a full 900 years removed from the actual events. The list, this list, I mean, extends to manuscripts from like the 12th century. Cicero's speeches have an even older pedigree, but we're looking at 400 to 800 now. So there's so, no eyewitness testimonies is what you're saying. These all come 900 to 400 to 800 years. After I'm not saying that part. because I think you can establish historically that uh, the reliable, uh, I don't hold, but I, what I'm saying is you have a, a, a lot less uh, 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 pedigree of years between the, the, the formulation of the gospel than you do even a Caesar and his, his life or anything. Right. So, that's what I'm getting at. There's no yeah. autographs of Caesar's account. Absolutely not. Absolutely right. not. Yeah. And they're 900 years removed. So that's why, right. that, that's why I said it supports your position here um, on that, that particular aspect. So okay, then so with they, that, Oh, go ahead. Tyler. Sorry, just just real quick, just clarifying question with that being said, David, are you skeptical of uh, Caesar's assassination account now? No, no, I'm not. But I'm not. I'm not following right. what David said at all about 900 years removed. The point um, I think that David's making, and he can correct me if I'm wrong, is that the account of the assassination that we have of Caesar comes 900 years after the historical event. Is that right, David? Yeah, and it, it, unless you're looking at, at writings of Cicero, which date 400 to 800 years, uh, um, about 400. Okay. CE to 800 CE, which I still think, in my opinion, is good to establish some sort of historicity there. But well, I, agree. I would be a lot more skeptical of that than I would be of uh, the accounts of the Gospels. See, that's what I'm closer in origin. Yeah, that's what I mean. I agree in, in your I, pedigree. I'm not following you at all. Sorry, Dave. I don't follow you at all. Well, let, um, let me, I'll, I'll kind of qualify to help David KC, but I, I do want to get to the empty tomb because that's what David KC wants yep. to speak about. But that's fine. So one thing that we do have to be consistent here, I think, because the Christians, um, you're kind of when you're saying, oh, it's 400 to 500 years for Cicero's account. Well, well, obviously, Cicero was contemporary kind of thing. Right. So you're talking about the manuscripts on that front. So 
And that right. from oh, the testimony, yeah. the manuscripts. Oh, the, te- well, the testimony, yeah, the testimony issue. that we get. Uh, yeah. So how do we know actual, that Caesar was assassinated? Uh, is because we look into the, the historical research, right? And the, re- the historical yes. research we have that Caesar was assassinated comes by way of manuscripts, right? And and testimonies, right? So um, th- the same is given with with the Gospels, and they're a lot closer in origin to the actual event than any that we have of Cicero's uh, 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 documents. And because- so things could have been altered and stuff like that. I mean, you'd have to apply a, more of a skepticism for uh, Caesar's assassination. Than you right. for the life and the life of Jesus Christ. Right. Well, I, I don't think so. I, I think um, Cicero's diaries were written down in, in a matter of a few years um, after Caesar's death. I mean, there's no reason to. Right. Well, well, it, well, well the, yeah. And that's the thing I was saying is that we don't have, yeah, but we don't have any of those diaries until right. hundreds of years after. Yeah, we're, we're not place. talking. I yeah. see that yeah. Dale's point. We're not talking about the autographs. We're talking about the actual accounts, which were copied, maybe uncopied. But that's true of all ancient documents. Right. We don't so, have autographs uh, for any original right. ancient. No, no. So work. indeed, but that that's uh, that's not the issue here. We we do accept that uh, that documents can be copied and preserve a high degree of reliability, and you know historians can show that to be so by looking at different versions of the same document and see the amount of corruption or you know but but we you get you get the gist i mean but so i don't think that's the issue here the issue here is that we have fairly contemporary accounts of caesar's assassination or tacitus or suetonius written some years later but relying on what was apparently common knowledge at the time so there's a public appeal there to something that was universally agreed that it was um that it happened and the second point is of course it wasn't not a miraculous event whereas the the gospel accounts of the resurrection were written by people who believed it happened so there's a definite bias there and secondly it was a miraculous event so we are entitled to um apply a higher degree of evidence with something miraculous and humor's right there humor's right we do require a higher standard for some miracle, some miracle than we do for something normal or everyday, um, and then to answer Tyler, I just repeat my point that we do not have eyewitness accounts. We don't have a letter of Peter saying I saw the risen Jesus. We don't have a letter from Mary Magdalene and anything like that. We don't. So we don't have witnesses. We don't have. We I have just, reports. I, we I'll have third-hand re- reports, second-hand just... reports. I'll just respond by saying that I think it's very interesting that the what you do with uh, Caesar and his assassination with documents, because we don't have eyewitness reports of them either. What we have is copies of the manuscripts that allegedly were, were copied correctly, but we don't know what those autographs said with Caesar. But then, and I'm trying to show you, David, that this is the double standard that you're applying, is that whenever we have manuscripts after manuscript after manuscript of the new testament uh, writings in particular that come from within and you say that there's no letters from peter there Mm -hmm. is it's called first and second peter now we can agree or disagree on whether or not those writings actually came from peter i I think that'd be an interesting conversation to have but according to the church tradition those letters did indeed come from peter and so i i I guess what i'm trying to say is and then we can move on to the empty tomb i know we're running short on time Mm -hmm. is that i just find it faulty in your reasoning i mean that with respect 
that you're not applying the same standards that you do to Caesar with with documents that come hundreds of years later than you do with I mean we're finding many, uh, copies of the Gospel of John in the first century now I mean that's amazing if you ask me but then the uh, New Testament textual criticism that's applied to all of these that span centuries centuries after the fact they all seem to line up especially on the resurrection and I'll go one more step to say that if that if indeed someone can show me that the resurrection of Jesus is wrong, then I'm not a Christian anymore because of what Paul said in his letter to the first Corinthians uh, and that which if Jesus hasn't been raised, then then Christians are to be among men most pitied. That's a bold, bold statement from a Jewish Pharisee that converted to Christ after witnessing him on the road to Damascus. So I'll just leave it there. Gotcha. Okay. Thank you. Right. So, okay. so thank you. Um, yeah. Now, Witnesses. It, I think it was you that brought in witnesses, not not me. And two or three witnesses. That was one of your arguments here. And of course, witnesses have to be eyewitnesses. Otherwise, they're not witnesses. So it was you brought in the witnesses thing. And, mm -hmm. and I pointed out that we don't have any witnesses. Um, eyewitness of the resurrection. I would argue we do. But if we accept one and two Peter as authentically. Well, you got Matthew. You've Peter, got nowhere uh, in those letters does he say I saw the risen Jesus. So. Those are not eyewitness accounts of the resurrection. But you brought in the witnesses. Now, secondhand accounts, history is, is, is based on secondhand accounts. You know, obviously it can use first person testimony when available. You know, Abraham Lincoln's assassination, there might have been first person accounts of people coming out of the theater who say, I saw this and it was written down. But, you know, usually it's secondhand and, and written from around people who use the knowledge at the time. To, to write things down in second hand. So we can accept those. Certainly we have to, and historians do. We do that all the time. Um, however, in the case of a miracle, we require a higher standard of evidence. And that's where I think Hume's argument is, is, is absolutely on the nail, is that we do need a higher standard of evidence for a miracle than for not. And we, do, we actually do this in all, or, you know, we don't accept the mythical accounts of the Greek and Roman history we just accept the factual. We strain it through a sieve. We say that, you know, one bit yeah. here. Yeah, David, I just I, have one question. Historian will bring in a mythical account, Sorry. but we know that that's in kind of inverted commas. You know, we know he doesn't really mean that. that it actually yeah. Yeah. I was I'll, just saying sorry for the interruption because it like kind of you're cutting out there, David, on my end. It's probably just my internet chopping out. But uh, I would I would just come back and just ask, what would you what would you accept as, as good evidence? You know, I mean, it, you know, I mean, this this whole idea of Hume's mm. incredible evidence, but there's there's no standard in which he, you could say, well, what is this incredible <laughs> evidence? What is this incredibility? Well, yes. And you're saying we don't have eyewitnesses. But my point with the historical aspect is, is that we have an account of John that is an actual second hand account. When you're looking at other historians, you're looking at third, not even third. You're looking at fifth, maybe uh, uh nine hands later you know what i mean so uh we have an actual document we have an actual manuscript of the gospel of john who i would say was an eyewitnesses and you know i i don't know what what type of direct statement why that a direct statement versus he appeared to the disciples and it's the disciple actually writing it down that wouldn't count as eyewitness testimony so i would just i it, there's a lot going on here, but I will I will confer it to Dale again. I'll let him push to the empty tomb. Um, well, yeah, yeah well, or whoever wants to respond, it's it's whatever. 
Well, just I'll step in as host just to make a quick announcement because I've been trying to, again, with the time stuff, I, I think the best way to approach this, and David Casey, let me know if you think this is a good plan, is look, there are three essential elements to constructing a historical argument for the resurrection, the bodily resurrection. So the first is on this issue of the sources that we're using, the historical sources. The second is, okay, what facts can we glean and how do we glean those facts? Um, and then thirdly, we have the explanations or the explanatory hypotheses to explain those facts. So I, I'm thinking it might be best to split this up into th three shows focusing on each of the topics. So yeah, I'm, I'm happy to let you guys, let's focus on the sources. There is one question from the audience all, uh, that's on the appearances at the end, but for for this episode, let's focus on this question of sources for the remainder of the show and uh, let's see if we can establish anything that way. So let me let me ask, start things off, D David KC, are, are there any of the historical sources that are you in the New Testament or anything, or even outside the New Testament, that you think are valid and can be used to establish facts? Yes, of course, of course, and and uh, we have history books made made out of what historians wrote uh, about ancient times, and so we can accept th some things with a high degree of personal probability. I think we go back uh, with with the Roman Empire. Uh, we we can go back to several hundred years BC because we have contemporary accounts there that are surviving. Obviously, not necessarily in the autograph forms but you know and these things are related to us as facts aren't they and uh, sure. and so history books are written on the basis of these generally accepted facts and dates indeed um, but where there isn't um, as reliable evidence we can't be sure okay so with respect to the resurrection specifically are there any sources in the New Testament or elsewhere that, that you automatically accept, yes, this is a valid source of information, or are you skeptical of all the sources? No, I, I said, I said, I, I, I think that the author of Acts is okay. attempting to write history. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So and, and, do you take and, the... Uh, in comparison to the author of Matthew, who I believe is not trying to write history, Okay. And hold on. That's what I wanted to ask earlier is why it be and you mentioned the flight to Egypt and, and I got kind of confused at that point. So why don't you believe that Matthew's writing history? Well, because he seems to insert stuff which um, for the sake of uh, for an apologetic criterion that, that um, these things happen so that you might believe. And right. so that to show that Jesus is the I mean, read commentaries of, yeah. of Matthew, and and you pick this up quite clearly that his purpose is apologetic to to um, encourage belief in a Jewish audience. Right, so and I agree with that. In, he brings in, you know, the the, the asses, um, Jesus riding in on the asses, uh, and links to Zechariah. Um, he, as I said, the flight to Egypt. He links to prophecy Hosea, showing how uh, Jesus fulfilled prophecy. Right, historically, right? That's what you're saying is that Jesus fulfilled these prophecies that were written two, three, four, five hundred years before Christ even showed up on earth. How he fulfilled these historically, right? Or no? Yeah, but I'm saying okay. that he, I'm saying that he, he made up the flight to Egypt. On what so basis do you assert that? 
Well, I just I told you I said that, that's what I'm. Uh, I'm. I'm, re I'm asking that, you to clarify. If you if you put Matthew two and Luke two side by side, they don't fit together. So Luke's the standard by which Matthew should well, be judged I, I would by. Trust Luke. I would trust Luke more than Matthew because. But why? That, well, like, assuming Let's, that the author of Luke is the same as the author of Acts, the author of Acts takes pains at certain points to date events, and to, and uh, about in Acts chapter seventeen. Um, the second-hand accounts turn into first-person accounts. So it appears that from that point onwards, he's writing with um, first-person uh, witness accounts there. So it looks like he's attempting to write accurate history. So because, um, so just so just to clarify, I'm, I'm trying yeah. to let David finish. So just because Luke writes, I did this, I did that, instead of he did this, he did that, then mm -hmm. that gives uh, you more... Um, certainty that luke is writing from a historical vantage point whereas matthew is just a polemic well no 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 not only that tyler as i said that he he dates things he dates things he makes an attempt and you can with regard to external events you can reference the what he writes with um who was governor in ephesus for instance or the death of herod you know so you, he, he brings in external events, external names and people, um, you know, the, the uh, Felix I, and Festus and so on. Sure. Um, and appears to lay down, um, give us information which enables us to date a lot of the events that are described in Acts. Mm -hmm. uh, so it looks like he's writing as a historian. He says in the, in the such and such year of Augustus, which none of the Gospels do. Right. So, uh, except well, possibly Luke. Uh, well, certainly Luke. So it looks like um, if Luke and Acts are written by the same person, that this person was a companion of Paul, uh, probably a Gentile, and attempting to write accurate history. It looks like that. And um, most, I'm not being outlandish here. I think most people would agree, agree. with me. Yeah, no, um, I agree. Whereas Matthew's a different kettle of fish. He's, uh, he's not attempting to write accurate history. He's writing to um, bring about belief. In, in Jewish readers. Well, I think they all are writing to bring about belief. Even John at the end of his gospel says, I well, write to yeah, these things that yeah. they, you may know certainly. that Christ is the Messiah uh, or that Jesus is the Messiah. Oh, indeed. Certainly. Certainly they all were. And Luke was obviously a believer. But mm -hmm. but, Luke, but Luke was, it doesn't look like Luke, the author of Luke and Acts was, was making stuff up deliberately to try to bring about belief. It looks like he was reporting. So, you know, the miracle on Malton when, when the snake bit Paul. Sure, sure. It looks well, to me that that probably happened because he was an eyewitness. I saw. Oh no, hold on, Tyler. Just let me jump in real yep. quick. Yeah, I, I, you know, I've done a lot of research on the birth narratives, and I've seen people reconcile uh, Matthew and Luke pretty well. Uh, maybe you can look into Lydia McGrew's work on that. I don't know if you already have. I know you got a little bit about the McGrews on that that aspect, but uh, uh, Matthew is written in the style of Greco-Roman biography. Uh, that that is verbatim. Uh, Luke is different. Yes, Luke records more of a Western style uh, writing style uh, that is that is uh, Aiken, but I don't see Matthew making up things or or this and that. I see that there's a, a, a depth of writing that we have to take into consideration because Matthew has a lot of Hebraic uh, 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 writing styles within 
his uh, literature there. I don't think he's making things up. I think he's typing, shadowing. He's using what what uh, Jews would have used at that time to uh, 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 produce things that would be prophetic in fulfillment of, of the prophecies. Just like uh, the whole thing in, in the uh, uh, the the resurrection of the saints. I mean, that very well could be hyperbolic, and that would be common to Jews and many writing in that time. Uh, and how they wrote their biographies of that time. So uh, Matthew's in five discourses. That's common uh, in, in other writings within that time. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's just it, it's it's how you look at it. it it's kind of getting into the history of it. So uh, with that, Dale, I'm sorry. I, I shouldn't have jumped well, in. I didn't want to. No, no, no problem. Um, I can finish what I was going to say just real quick and then sure. I'll turn it back over to Dale. So okay. to keep in mind at the same time that you know luke i believe and and i think this is i think a lot of scholars would agree with this uh that luke was writing to a non-jewish audience and a uh, matthew was writing to a jewish audience and you know you brought it out earlier david that there is this idea within our context within our uh, where we are right now in history to separate myth and i'm not using that term like in a in a bad way right but but myth from historical uh, narrative, and that just did not apply to our Jewish criteria. For example, Genesis 1 is argued today, you know, amongst all kinds of Christians everywhere. Well, is it historical reliable? Is it mythos? Is it is it historical narrative? Whatever. This, we see, if you study the ancient Near Eastern context, right, that they tended to blend these ideas for, like what you said, polemical purposes, mm -hmm. right? So the author of Genesis is writing to compete with and i would argue to show how yahweh god of you know god of the israelites anyway is superior to uh the egyptian gods and and the other ancient near eastern uh, gods and goddesses in that time but the point i'm trying to make at this at this juncture anyway is that this idea that myth and historical narrative was completely separated from themselves is a i mean it's very, very recent. That's a newer development that came with scholasticism and, and uh, the Enlightenment period. The Jews didn't think that way. They combined these things, and and I'll just yeah, I'll leave it there. Okay. Okay. Cool. So, uh, the thing that I really want to do, I just want to establish a baseline of of where we're at because obviously I'm wanting to help David Campbell Cook and make the best case here. So. Okay, so great. So you would accept Luke Acts as a credible source for, for potentially gaining facts from. You're not with Matthew yet, but you've been de debating that. Uh, the other two Gospels, John and, and Mark, do you think those are valuable sources? Would you look uh, be able to? Those just as a yes or no kind of thing. Oh, yes, that, that's certainly valuable sources, yes. Okay, for, for the resurrection purposes. Well, they're sources of the belief um, that it happened, certainly. Okay. Uh, now, what about Paul's letters? Do you uh, go with the majority of biblical scholars and accept certain ones, like the 13 of them? Do you accept? Would you accept all of them as valuable historical sources for the resurrection? Or Well, but they're all irrelevant to the resurrection. Because well, Paul wasn't an eyewitness of the resurrection. That's your argument, David, right? That's right, yes. Yeah. And we don't know, as I said, uh, he, he says in First Corinthians 15, of course, the famous passage, over 500, but we don't know of those 500, uh, whether that was a bodily appearance to them or not. Are you familiar, just out of curiosity, and this is just a, a fun question, but are you familiar with church tradition on what they teach about Paul and Jesus uh, teaching him in Arabia for three years? 
Oh, David. No, I can't. Well, do, do, I know about yes, but. Just for funsies, do a uh, Google search of uh, church tradition in regards to Paul and Jesus teaching him. I think you'll be interested mm -hmm. in what that has to say. Okay, well, certainly with the letters of Paul, there's nothing there that uh, gives us support for bodily resurrection. Indeed, if you read 1 Corinthians 15, it gets the opposite because he describes um, the resurrection of which Christ is the first fruits as a spiritual body, not a material body. And he decries as fools those who believe that we're going to be raised with that same body. I would argue that you're misinterpreting uh, 1 Corinthians 15, but we can talk about that okay. later if you'd like to. That, that's another show then. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I'd love to have that conversation with you, though. We're yes. talking to another yeah. guy that, that argues that same thing, and I think it's just fallacious. But but we can we can have that conversation later if you'd like to. Okay. Okay, so David, uh, so okay, great. So you're good with the other Gospels. You're good with Paul's letters where they're relevant, potentially relevant, like 1 Corinthians 15. Um, church fathers, you said you're not sure. Do you think there's any relevant historical data pertaining to Jesus' resurrection in uh, in a reliable source from the church fathers at all, or is that too all too late? Uh, well, they're you... all based upon the the, um, the second, third, fourth hand accounts, aren't they? Based on the Gospels and uh, and Acts chapter one. Okay, so, so they don't they don't give us independent evidence. We could say that there are. Um, three potentially independent strands of secondhand evidence, what you've got for the bodily resurrection. You've got uh, Luke, uh, Matthew, and John. And of course, Luke chapter 24 merges into Acts chapter one and the, and the ascension. So we've got those two we could consider as one, uh, potentially independent secondhand sources. Okay. And, okay, and that's, that's all we have. And that's what the idea that uh, history, or I'm sorry, the second hand, or I forget how you exactly worded it, but you said something about that history is built on the secondhand sources, or history is the basis of secondhand sources earlier in the conversation. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So the fact that there's secondhand sources doesn't disqualify them. Okay. Uh, remember, it was you that brought in the witnesses. Yeah, uh, absolutely. If we had, if we had um, reports of, of something non-miraculous, which, and we had three documents which dates from that time of you know 10 20 years afterwards which were didn't report didn't just reported that jesus was crucified and died and was buried for instance um we could accept those as i do and as many people do and as many skeptics and atheists do uh, because they don't report something that was miraculous so we could accept that and that's why those minimal facts i was saying those five minimal facts of, of habermas I could accept, but that doesn't get me to a bodily resurrection because, you know, as, as Hume pointed out, the bar is higher for a miracle. It has to be. And, and the same, if someone said to you, I mean, Tyler, yeah. that, you know, my, my wife died last week, but then she was raised from the dead, you would be skeptical, wouldn't you? You'd need some evidence. Well, I just believe him, would you? I, I live in a Christian worldview where we can actually attest to miracles. So depending on depending yeah. on the claim, but, you still need, but you still need I think Hume's. But my thing is, I think Hume's claim is arbitrary to to this idea that miraculous uh, historical uh, happenings require much, 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 much more evidence. Then that's a, that's only I think founded and could even be logical in an atheistic worldview. But that that's just my opinion on that. So. 
It just seems arbitrary to me to to claim, well, this because it's a miracle, uh, requires more evidence. That that's taking a couple it, presuppositions in my evidential apologetics and this idea that miracles don't happen in, in an atheist. You would need right? evidence. It's a miracle last week. You I'm not an evidentialist, evidence. so <laughs> Okay. Well, yeah, but if your friend said to you, my wife came back from the dead, yeah, and and uh, how, would you just believe him because he said that, or would you look into it? I would look into it, like I look into the history of Jesus. You'd evidence, wouldn't you? Yeah, right. I would look into it. Well, hold on. Yeah. I would look into it the exact same way that I've looked into Jesus, uh, the claims that Jesus rose yeah. from the dead, so absolutely. Okay. Right. Well, that, that brings on to what Dale said. I mean, just to finish off, because Dale, we're running out of time, but perhaps we could carry on another time. But you asked me, what would I need? And this is exactly the point, Tyler, that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. A miracle last week. You know, my friend said my wife died and was raised three days later. We, I think um, a miracle nowadays, potentially, we could accept because more evidence is potentially available. There could be videos, there could be eyewitness reports, we could talk to eyewitnesses and 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 all that. There could be multiple eyewitnesses. Sure. So um, I'm not against the idea of a miracle. I don't believe miracles are impossible. I think that, uh, but they do need a higher standard of evidence to accept. Um, just you reporting a humdrum fact about your wife, you could accept on your friend say so, but your wife's resurrection from the dead, you'd need a bit more evidence before you believed it you might be joking or something else happened or it might be hallucinating so but but so a miracle nowadays i think potentially there could be evidence and i know that there's big books on miracles aren't they uh, craig keener's book is it on that and I, i'm not against that at all i don't i don't think that it's impossible that miracles happen but a miracle two thousand years ago is is a uh, different from a miracle last week and i don't think that there's any evidence there that we could except that separates it from other mythical accounts accounts in the quran or you know about what muhammad did flying from mecca to jerusalem or what um you know what the book of mormon says which is you know okay. in more recently but even so just because we've got certain historical accounts that something happened is not enough to give us belief mm. um, and okay. if, it's, if it's of a miracle kind of event Okay, cool. Okay, so Dave, David, uh, one last quick question for you again on the sources, because we're I'm, I'm trying to gain from you what sources I can use or not, and I'm just taking whatever you would accept. So uh, on the secular sources then, people like Josephus or Tacitus, do you think there are any secular historical sources that are relevant for establishing the historicity of the death and resurrection of Jesus, or do you see those as not useful or, or irrelevant? Well, I, yes, I mean, they just report belief uh, of Christians that Jesus rose from the dead. Gotcha. So they, they don't give us any more information than the early chapters of Acts. So other, just out of curiosity, David, other than uh, testimony, whether that be firsthand eyewitnesses or secondhand witnesses, whatever, what other evidence would you look for uh, to confirm or deny the resurrection, the historical event? Uh, well, well, this is it, you see, Tyler, is that we don't have a distance of 2,000 years. We don't have any other kind of evidence. Right. For any event in the distant past, all right. we've got are stuff that's written that was written down at some point. That's mm -hmm. the, uh, that's why we don't know what happened really three, four thousand, five thousand years ago, 
unless there's a clay tablet somewhere telling us. And 10,000 years ago, we have no idea. I mean, what, you know, historical events. All we've got is, um, is archaeology. And, uh, and uh, so, so uh, yeah. So, but whereas something last week, we do have a different kind of evidence available, you know, much stronger. Right, right, right. Because we got cameras, we've got pictures, yeah, we've yeah, got all these right. different things. And so the only evidence, the evidence that we have to examine for the historical claims of the resurrection in particular, since that's what we're talking about, mm. are the eyewitness or the witness. Uh, I'm leaving an eyewitness there for just a second, but the witness testimony that it happened. So then we have to go and establish, are these sources reliable? Are they truthful? Can they do this, that and the other? And is that as an evidentialist that, that I mean, that's all we have to base that on. Is that mm -hmm. accurate? Yeah, that's okay. right. And yeah. So that's all we have. Yes. So let me, I just got a question for Dell and David, then just out of curiosity, um, given that that's the evidence, the testimony uh, of the witnesses of uh, of this event, right? What do you guys think? Is that good enough? Or should is, is there something else that we can base a probable uh, belief, as Dell would say, to warrant our belief in the resurrection from the dead? Or is evidence not enough? Like, what do you guys think about that? And I can clarify that if that didn't make sense. Yeah, no problem. Um, so I, obviously I think that testimonial evidence is uh, sufficient in the case of the, test the specific testimonial evidence that we have. And I would disagree with David Kemble Cook's, uh, mis uh, what I believe to be a mischaracterization. I would believe, my friend, if I determined, look, these guys are reliable and I adjudicate their motivation. They're not trying to play a prank or trick me. They're sincere. And I evaluate whether I think they've gone insane or something like that and know they're perfectly healthy. That would be sufficient. I would believe, yeah, they maybe their friend probably rose, their wife probably rose from the dead. And that's exactly what I do. So I, I've become a sort of a mini expert in what's called the epistemology of testimony. And I want to, I'm going to get into a, a lot more detail in a future show with David Campbell. I've been listening very carefully as to his objections, how I think I can organize some shows to maybe address his thing. And I want to do a show on David Hume and the epistemology of testimony. But um, just if you're interested, David Kem, uh, KC, uh, here I'm sharing my, I've already done a, a solo show on David Hume and miracles, kind of refuting his his argument and giving some of my objections. So you can kind of get a, a head start there. And one of them is my take on the epistemology of testimony, where I take a non-reductionist understanding, whereas Hume takes a reductionist understanding. So yeah, uh, that, that'll be something on a future show. But obviously for the next one, I, I want to kind of, outside of explanations, I want to establish, great, we have these sources what are the facts that we can establish and are working with? So that's my sort of plan for next time. If David Casey is good with that. Yeah. Um, okay. Good. Yeah. Are you asking me to, to answer Tyler? Yeah. I'd love to hear both of you out on that. Um, one. Dale, do you mind? Or are we cutting it too short? Um, uh, but go ahead. As long as David Casey is okay with it. Um, yeah, I would, I would say um, there's, there's a few things I'd say. Um, I'm with Dale when it comes to, uh, the idea of a friend saying, hey, look, my wife rose from the dead, right? I, I would have, uh, uh, it, it, unless I had reason to doubt him, I would take him at his word. And yes, I would 
obviously look into it. But my problem is I would only have available evidence. And that's what I would base my uh, uh, my uh, my my determination off of, because I don't think we have a line drawn in the sand when it comes to extraordinary evidence. You know, so I don't think that uh, um, um that that's the case. And and when you look at historicity, I'm going to quote Dan Wallace, we have an embarrassment of riches when it comes to the new Testament. Right. So um, as far as historically with the gospels and the eyewitness testimony that we have, I do believe it's eyewitness testimony. I think that John was the author of John. I think Matthew was the author of Matthew. Um, we have his good historical arguments for that. Um, Balcom and the eyewitnesses uh, talking about the eyewitnesses gives an incredible um, argument there. And I would say all the evidence that, uh, that I see, and it's not, um, pure, it, it is evidential in, in a very, uh, real aspect is that he rose again. And the historical sources, I think, affirm that, uh, very well. I think that they're very reliable, um, for all the years that I've studied the reliability of the New Testament. Um, I do believe that, uh, the, the arguments for his resurrection, just outweigh by long, you know, by long way, uh, the uh, arguments against it. You know, I think that if we had cameras and, and photographs, and I'll just say this in closing, <clears throat> that uh, Jesus's comment to a Thomas wouldn't have as much weight as it actually do, does, you know, now, because we don't have that. We, what we have is the witness testimony uh, and the eyewitness testimony of the resurrection, but just for our audience sake, and, and David, uh, take this uh, for what it's worth with you as well. But, you know, we keep in mind that Jesus told Thomas, uh, blessed are you, you know, for because you see, like you believe because you see, right? But blessed are those who believe and yet do not see. And I don't think Jesus there is they take this and all of the what the apostles and, and the guys that I'm instituting take with a grain of salt and 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 blind faith it right like but but there are there is evidence I think there's sufficient evidence uh, like David was talking about when comparing and contrasting uh, the eyewitness testimony the reliability of the new uh, testament and not only that but the second hand testimony as well that I agree I think Mark was a disciple of Peter so whether he saw the resurrection or not, uh, I think that that would be up for debate since he puts himself in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, but and that was before Jesus died, by the way. But but we can you know we can talk about that time. But I say all that to say that um, I think that there are good reasons for believing that Jesus rose from the dead, um, and I think that the Bible attests to that. It's been proven to be reliable, and that's one of the reasons, one of the many reasons why I'm still a Christian over all these years so all right and so just to fin oh oh uh david i was just gonna finish off because i thought you had to go do you want to say something or oh no no i'm i need to i think if we could have uh, another show dale we're I, gonna I, have at least be good we've, we've opened quite a few cans here <laughs> well i and just to close, yeah, just to close um, off david i i do want to back there is a relevant difference between my believing the testimony of my buddy and his wife and Jesus, right? And that's that religious context. It's the it's not on the basis of the, the testimonial evidence. That's the same, but it's that prior probability. Je Jesus is in a different reference class to God randomly raising someone randomly from the dead, yeah. like my friend's wife or something. But 
I just want to um, say congratulations to apparently Real Seekers has hit 2,000 subscribers. Oh, whoops. That's for Faith on Altar. Oh. oh, man. I thought you did, Dale. <laughs> no, I was no. like, yes. I was trying to be funny, but uh, yes. Yeah, so oh, man. You got Congratulations me. to Faith on Altar for that. But thank uh, yeah, th thank you so much, David Casey, for coming on. I, um, I've been listening very carefully to your objections, and we will definitely have future shows where we can kind of zero in and focus because the whole point of this is to help you not just give talking points on all sides and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, you'll be, you'll be back and we're going to dive into some of this stuff. So yeah. Thanks David for the chat. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Dale, um, David and Tyler. It's been really good, really interesting. And I appreciate your, your courtesy and the points you've raised, some of which have been very much to the point. And uh, I think we really need to have another go at this. <laughs> yeah. And real quick, I'll say this too, David. I, in, in just in case that I did, uh, I think I did a couple of times, but I do apologize for cutting you off. Um, this, it's, it's one of those topics that I'm very passionate about. And so I apologize if and when I did cut you off there. So. No, that's, that's okay. It's absolutely, and I'm sure I cut you off as well. <laughs> so it's all, that's right. I mean, we're hey. passionate about these things, aren't we? Um, so, we oh, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Thank you, GU, for the $10 super chat uh, just before everybody has to go real quick. Uh, highly underrated channel you have here, guys. Keep up the good work. It'll continue to grow. Glory to God. Thank you, GU, uh, for the uh, super chat. We really, really appreciate that, brother. Awesome. Awesome. All right, cool. Well, that should do it. So, yeah, thank thank you, everybody. Uh, David, David, and Tyler for joining me on Real Seekers and uh, Faith Unaltered as well. So, yeah, it was a great show. and. Have a have a great week. Thanks, Dale. You too, buddy. Thank you.